If you turn your attention now to the Gospel of John, to the 13th chapter, we're, we're now midway through the final week of Jesus' life. Jesus came into Jerusalem on Sunday. It's now Wednesday, maybe even Thursday by some uh, calculations, but Jesus is very close to that time when he is going to start that final 24 hours. And so our focus for quite some time is really going to be the cross. It is the cross of Christ that has paved the way for our redemption. Without Jesus' death, without his burial, without his resurrection, our faith is in vain. If Christ did not die and he did not pay the price for our sin, then we are not saved and we are not reconciled back to God. And so the most important event in human history, uh, we are on the, the steps of that event. And Jesus is now going to spend some private time with just the disciples. He'll be in the upper room. And this opening scene, as Jesus will minister to this group of 12, which at this point still includes Judas Iscariot, is, is some of the most intimate time that we find in all of Scripture. I don't know if you've ever thought about what would it be like to sit down to dinner with Jesus. I, I don't know if you've ever thought what would it be like to, to maybe take a walk around the Sea of Galilee or, or maybe through a, a neighborhood with Jesus. These ensuing scenes that we'll see here, beginning in John chapter 13, is Jesus meeting privately with the disciples, a very small, intimate setting where the Lord is going to speak into their lives. And we'll turn our attention to verse 1 and down through verse 11 as Jesus begins uh, his fond farewell with the disciples. Would you pray with me? Father, again, we are, we're hopeless without you. We're hopeless without the cross. We're hopeless without our Savior. But because you love us and because, Jesus, you did die on Calvary's cross, paving the, the path to our salvation through your own shed blood, Lord, we are found. And, Lord, we count ourselves, most of us in this room, as your disciples. We've professed you as Lord and Savior. We've invited you into our lives, and because of this, we can gather around this scene, this story, uh, even as one of the twelve, Lord, though we were not there that day, we can listen in as, as the redeemed. And so, God, would you speak mightily and powerfully through your word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, John 13 uh, and now before the feast of Passover, remember this is Passover week, so that's the reason for all the visitors, that's the reason for the crowds, it's the reason that so many are there, it's actually the reason that Pontius Pilate ultimately will, will allow Jesus to be made a spectacle of, it's a great time. If you wanted to make a spectacle of someone so that you could put some fear into the life of the common people, Passover week would have been a great week to do that, and so it is Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come, and we're going to look at what Jesus knew and what Jesus did this morning in this passage. But know this, whenever you see the word know, it does not mean know as if he learned something new. Uh, 
It's an acknowledgement of what he knew before the foundation of time had come. It's him honoring the plan, the one and the only plan. It is him making known to us that the time had come. Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And remember, as we've already seen, the whole purpose, the whole plan of salvation was that God so loved the world. It was not that God was just simply angry at sin, but he loves sinners more than he hates sin. And so his own son, he sends into the world that the world through him would be saved. And so this statement that he loved them to the end, really is he loved them to the uttermost all the way to the end of time, not just to the end of his life, but he has always loved us. He has seen us as the the children of God before the foundations of the world were even laid. He, he had laid down his life and purpose and meaning before he ever got here. His goal was love. It still is love. And we can never lose that, family. You know, we talk flippantly. Uh, you know, for those of us that have been around a while, you know, we remember the, the Beatles song, All We Need Is Love. You know, there's a lot of truth in that. There really is a lot of truth in in those simple words. Because ultimately, what we all need is the love of God. And Christ came to make that possible. And supper being ended, and the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, and I would encourage you, circle put, if you would. It's a simple word, and it's not easy to translate the original language here into English and have it make sense, and 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 while put makes sense in English, it isn't actually conveying the truth of what's being said there because it's actually a Greek word that means to throw. So you can see if you put throw in there, it doesn't quite fit. You see what Satan did is what he does to you and I. What the devil did is what he does to you and I. He throws fiery darts at us. And if you do not have the shield of faith, if you are not a child of God, then those darts almost always stick. And that was the case in Judas' life. He was not a believer. He was a pretender. He was not saved. He was under the influence and sway of Satan. And because that dart was thrown at one who would willingly receive it without the shield of faith that comes as part of the armor of God, that dart stuck. It was put into Judas's mind and it took up residence. Who was Simon's son to betray him and Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. And you see the interchange here between God the father and God the son. The work of two separate beings in that sense. Though one, because both are God, having very different roles in our salvation. God the Father, God the Son, is where Jesus came from. Before Jesus was here on this earth, he was in heaven. That's why we can say of him, he was the one who was and is and is to come. 
that he is both the Alpha, the A, and the Omega, the end, the Z, if you will. He has always been. Jesus was not an afterthought. Jesus wasn't a construction of some magnificent being in heaven. Well, we need a savior, so I need to make one. He was not made. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the one who was and is and is to come. He's coming again. And so the picture here of God's plan laid out before the foundation of the world, very clear. He rose from supper and laid aside his garments. And now one of the sweetest, most beautiful, in, in absolutely endearing passages in all of Scripture. Because if you were the creator of Judas, if you were the creator of the other person in this story, Peter, if you had made them before the foundation of the world, if you had constructed them, would you have taken off your clothes and girded yourself at the waist with a towel and pulled out a basin and done the most despicable job that could be offered to any servant in anyone's home to wash the filth of the world off the feet of people that you actually made? Most of us would go, that's, that's a little below my pay grade. I got people to do that. Matter of fact, I would have given it to Judas. and said, Judas, got a job for you. But not our Savior Jesus. Not our Savior Jesus. And please see this. Took off his garments, his outer cloak, he's... In essence, likely between taking off the two garments that were normally worn, the cloak and the tunic, uh, he was naked for a moment and he girded himself with a towel. He, He got real with his friends. And he girded himself and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now I think part of the importance of the story is to put it in its cultural context. That was the job that the lowest servant in the house was given. If you had several servants, the one that you disliked the most, the one who was the least qualified, the one whom you maybe even wanted to teach a lesson or embarrass, that's the one who washed feet and here's why. You didn't want to bring the filth of the journey into your home. And so, because they didn't own socks, everyone wore sandals. They didn't have a sanitation department cleaning up the road, especially in populated areas. The streets were filled with the refuse of both humans and animals. And though this may disgust some of you, human waste was thrown into the street. Animal waste was in the street. The mud, uh, the dirt of the street between the cracks was the waste of humanity and animal kind. So get this correct in your own mind. That's what's on the feet of the disciples. Now most people would take and find a body of water and clean them themselves periodically, but if you had been journeying as these men had, 
you brought with you the filth of the world. So lock it in. And Jesus says, no problem. I will scrub away the filth of the world. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Because that's exactly what he does also to our hearts, isn't it? He takes the filth, the garbage, the collected trash and refuse of our walking in this world, and with his blood, he scrubs away that filth. As I was studying this morning, I was like, God, you did this for me. I was sitting there in that room. And everyone in here can testify and say amen that we still get our feet dirty. Amen? And he's still scrubbing your feet. He's still washing off the mess that you step in every day. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? That's your Savior. That's your Savior. He's not a distant God. He's not just a regal king. He's a king who girds, takes his own self and makes him naked and sits down and scrubs the dirt off of you and me. And then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And again, you have to love Peter. If you don't love Peter, I, I, I wonder how much humanity um, you really have come in contact with because in Peter I see myself. It's like, no, Lord, don't, no, 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 no. I'll get this. I don't want you to see where my feet have been. I know what happened right before I, no, thanks, I got it. You see, I want to clean myself up. Anybody in here ever tried to clean yourself up through works? I remember when I got saved, I I thought, you know, I could add to my salvation by reading through the entire Bible in a week. (laughs) Didn't go so well. Got partway through Deuteronomy, saw the book of Numbers, and said, I'm done. (laughs) And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now. Boy, is that the truth. But you will know after this. If you want to know how he knew, just read the first two chapters of the book of Acts and see what happened in Peter's life through the washing of the water and the word, the power of the Holy Spirit that came upon him. And as he preaches and thousands become believers. You see, Peter wasn't ready for that yet. But he would sure understand it in a very short period of time. And Peter said to him, you'll never, you'll never wash my feet. I'm not letting you do it. And again, I think it's important to put this in context. He's basically saying, Lord, no, 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 no. You don't get to do this. I, I, I won't let you. I, I should wash your feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. You have no manos with me. You have no connection with me. You are not with me wholly. 
And Simon Peter said to him, you just got to love this. Okay, well then dunk me. (laughs) Have you ever walked in and out of faith with the Lord like that? It's like one minute you're in the heights of heaven, the next minute you're in the dump. One minute you're kind of sort of getting it, the next minute you're dumb as a hot rock. You're looking, you're looking at life through the eyes of eyes, and then the next minute it's the eyes of faith. You're seeing with your eyes, you're hearing with your ears, and next minute you're hearing from heaven. Oh, I praise God for Peter. His life is good. I'm going to be thanking Peter for a long time when I get to heaven. Going, Bro, I would have been lost except for your example of how not to do it. You just got to love it. And I love that the Lord leaves this example here for us so that those of you that maybe don't get it right the first time, anybody in here not get it right the first time? Oh my goodness, isn't that most of us? I'm still not getting it right the 7,000th time sometimes. You look at Peter and you go, thank you, Lord, for the example of this man who was so mightily used Lord, not not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. Look, Peter, it's not really actually about the whole feet washing thing. But I'm using this as an example to you. If you let me wash you, if you will believe by faith that I am who I say I am, when I give my life on the cross, it's going to be sufficient for your salvation. You need to believe exactly what he just got through preaching. Believe in me. You'll be completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Judas is still sitting there. For he knew who would betray him, and therefore he said, You are not all clean. What did Jesus actually know? What the humble king knew? What, what was in view here as he uses this word a couple of times? Jesus knew his hour had come. And he was conveying that to the disciples. You see, when you look at the progression from chapter 2, Jesus actually said, my hour has not yet come. In chapter 8, we hear from heaven, his hour has not yet come. In chapter 12, the hour has come that the Son of Man might be glorified. And now he knows his hour has come. In chapter 17, Father, my hour is here. The whole progression of this week is the most amazing event in human history. When God incarnate in human flesh gave his life for you and me. His hour. When he would finally cry out from the cross, it is finished. That's the hour that's in view. It's done to telestai. That hour had not come before, but it was here now. Jesus knew he was on a heavenly timetable. He knew that it would take his death. It would take his resurrection. It would ultimately even take his ascension in some ways. That was all part of the plan. 
And in that sense, Jesus also knew that he was going to die. You know, people people often wrongly look at the death of Jesus and they hang it on Pilate or they hang it on the Romans or they hang it on the Jews. No, he came to die. All of those groups had a, a hand in seeing the plans of God come to fruition. But make no mistake, Jesus came for one purpose, to die and to give his life a ransom for us. Amen? You've you, you got to get that. Otherwise, you have this ridiculous thinking process going on in your head. Well, who killed Jesus? That, that's how I can truthfully tell you, I killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. We collectively killed Jesus. Yes, the Jewish people killed Jesus. The Romans killed Jesus. Pilate killed Jesus. We all, humankind, every last one of us, put Jesus on the cross. But that's what he came to do. So if you didn't have a hand in it and Pilate didn't have a hand in it, somebody would have had a hand in it because that's what he came to do. He came to die to give his life a ransom for many. You don't think that he knew he was going to leave the earth and return from where he came? He, he knew that. You don't think he, he knew that Judas was going to betray him? Of course, he knew that. That was not something that Jesus woke up, oh, man, I never saw Judas coming. You know, man, that dude is crafty. It's like that brother needs to start a gang or something. Not sure what's going on there, but man, he is really God. He's just, that's just like, not cool, Judas. No, he knew Judas would betray him. It wasn't like Jesus, Jesus was going, wow, I, I, you know, I don't know what you're doing, Judas, but it, I, you know, you might want to think, you know, he knew. He also knew that the Father had given him all things. That's the part you need to cling to. That's the part you need to love. Knowing all these things, Jesus also knew that the plan was going to work. That he wasn't going to fail. That his death meant our salvation. You see, sometimes when people think about it, we almost forget that from Scripture's perspective, Hebrews 9 says, it is appointed unto man one time to die and then judgment. God knows these things. So Jesus is going, I want men to be able to stand before me in heaven and not have to give an account for the life that they've lived, but I want my grace sufficient to make sure that they can enter in. He knew this. What did Jesus do? What did the humble king do to prove that? He did the very things that we would think he would not do. If it was my last week of, on, on this earth, I, I'm going out to dinner, I'm going to Hawaii, uh, I, you know, I'm thinking of all kinds of ways to please myself. Isn't that what you would probably do? Going to spend time with your bride, honey, I'm, we've only got a week together, I'm dying of cancer. Can we just go do something before the Lord takes me home? That would be how you and I would look at it humanly. So what is Jesus doing? He's saying, Jeff's going to need me to save his life. 
I want to make sure he knows that I am willing to lay down my life so that he can be saved. So he does the one thing you would expect him to not do. He girds himself. The affection of the Lord Jesus. Have you ever wondered if maybe the Apostle Paul got that message from the Lord himself when he penned the second letter to the church at Philippi? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form God, did not consider it robbery. That passage. That he would make himself of no reputation whatsoever and take the form, what does it say there in Philippians 2? The form of a bondservant, a douloi. Would take off his clothes and wrap himself with a towel and sit down and grab Judas's feet and scrub the filth off of them. What did he do? Everything. All things were in his hands. You you realize Jesus could have not gone to the cross, right? He's God. He goes, you know, I don't think so. I looked into Judas's heart. I know what he's going to do. This is, you know, no, I don't think so. And of course, I'm speaking only hypothetically here. Because he came to do that, so that wouldn't even be in his thought process. But he was God. He could do anything he wants. That's the beauty of this. He chose to do this. He chose to go to the cross. He chose forgiveness for us. He chose grace for us. He chose mercy to me. You ever thought about what Jesus did in choosing the path he chose? He chose to do what you would not have chosen to do for him. I don't know how many of you have ever been in life or death situations. I've been in a few. I've watched people sacrifice their own life for the life of someone else. But I'll tell you, it's not without decision making going on. I've had to choose between two children. I'm performing CPR on one and not the other. Nine have been ejected from the back of a, uh, of a Jeep that had the top, top cut off of it. Five of them critical. There are three of us that show up. I had to choose who died. I had to choose who died. I would never wish that on anyone. Sometimes doctors, nurses, in those situations, making the decision the best they can, they agonize. Sometimes they never recover from making that decision. Jesus chose himself to die in your place. I don't know how he did that. I'll never know. That's how great our Savior is. 
That's why he sought not his own glory. That's why he came not to do his own will. That's why the Son has come to do nothing in and of himself. Do you see these things that we've already seen? He was on God the Father's plan. He was on God the Father's timetable. And he himself was fully committed to your salvation. He left nothing undone. He gave his very life in your place. What a, what a lesson we have here. As Peter watches, he, he so misunderstands what's going on. He, he's, in a lot of ways, like people who think they're saved because of baptism, or they think they're saved because of church attendance, or they think they're saved because of something they do. Family of God, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you were saved by grace through faith and not even that faith is of you. That's actually a gift of God. You can't boast about it. And Peter's going, oh, I'll, I'll wash my own feet. No, Peter, what I'm doing, I have to do for you. You can't do it for yourself. This isn't just about getting the dirt off. This is a message to you that you're going to understand on the day of Pentecost. But right now, you don't get it. And so Peter goes to the other extreme. He says, well, you know, washing my feet's good. Then, man, let's find a mikveh and we'll go there and you can just wash the whole lot of me. So he understands his own sinfulness. He, he gets the fact that he's gotten dirty in the world, but he has no idea that it's going to take God's grace to fix the problem. Brothers and sisters, God's grace is the only fix to your problem. There isn't another fix. And to receive that grace, you have to have the measure of faith. You've got to commune. You've got to let God wash you. And once he's washed you in salvation, he will further keep washing you in sanctification. He's going to wash you with the blood, and then he's going to wash you with the water and the word. But the one wash is sufficient for you to be saved. The other is what you need to do to stay right and holy before a holy God. Because you're going to step in stuff in this world. You're going to get dirty again. So make sure that you get the message Peter got here. We need to keep our hearts and our minds cleaned up. We, we need to go, I, I like to put it, we need to go to the Jesus Day Spa. You know how that is? You, you ladies, I still don't get the whole nail thing. I, I'm just telling you. I, I watched it, I sit down and I'm going... Connie's got her own little like microwave oven. She sticks her fingers in, in her house, and and as I watch it, I'm like, well, what, they look like they're when they go in, they already look fine. They come back out, and somehow they're better. That that's kind of like sanctification work. Something happens. Something happens. There's a little extra work that occurs in our lives and all of a sudden we're just a little bit better than we were the day before. I was sharing with the guys before service. I'm so thankful for the work of sanctification in my own life because I have an innate capacity to, to have the best of motivations and still manage to step in something I shouldn't st- step in. Amen? <laughs> 
don't miss what's being said here. No, no, Peter. Look, if I wash your feet, you're good for eternity. The whole day spa thing, you need to do that regularly, frequent, and often. We could dunk all of you, and it's not going to fix the problem, okay? Because you're going to get dirty the following day. You're probably going to get dirty coming out. Any of you ever done that? We have two Labradors. You, you step out of the shower, and one of them has come in and done their shake, and there's a little bit of hair on the floor, and it's now stuck on the bottom of your feet. You just got out of the shower. The same is true spiritually. Our world's a mess, amen? You go, you're in your prayer. Dear God, save me. I'm going to have to drive to work today. This is my prayer, by the way. And you get on the freeway, and you're trying to drive with your eyes closed, and that's not working. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden, you're like, Lord, sanctify my flesh. Isn't that, a, isn't that a beautiful picture of exactly how the world, it's the same today as it was then, just a little different circumstances. Oh, hallelujah for that cleansing flow, amen? So the message here as we close is don't be like Peter. If you're here today and you've refused to have your feet washed, you see, you need Jesus to wash your feet. Don't miss this. There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. That's the message Peter's actually going to preach when he gets past Pentecost. It's at the name of Jesus that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Oh, that's a truth. You see, the world says it can be religion. You go to a Hindu temple, you'll put some ash on your head and you'll get a little dot right there on your forehead. You'll be encouraged to do some action, undertake some activity. In a similar way, if you go to a mosque, you're going to be uh, told, here's the five pillars of Islam, you're going to need to do these five things if you ever expect to have forgiveness. You're going to need to do some work. If you go to a Jewish synagogue, you are going to be expected to follow the laws of God. And to not do so is very injurious to your standing before the Lord. There are even branches of Christianity that say, well, you need to make sure you've said this prayer and you need to do these things. And oh, by the way, if you mess up, you need to spend some extra time someplace called purgatory. That's actually work. That's like you didn't get it right here. Praise God that none of those things are true. Because salvation is by grace and through faith. It's not works. We can't boast about it. If any of us are going to heaven, it's all one way. I have believed on the only begotten Son of God. Apostle Paul said, by the works of the flesh, no one is justified. You can have the most ugly flesh and still make it to heaven, and you can have the absolutely most beautiful works and not get to heaven. And the only thing that joins those two places is the grace of God that comes through believing in our Savior. Would you stand with me and we'll close in prayer. If you're here today and you've never believed on the only begotten Son of God, I want to I tell you, we have a team in our prayer room that would love to tell you the story of salvation. 
Love to pray with you that you would receive Christ. Don't miss that opportunity today. I I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow, but I can tell you this. Today, you're being offered the opportunity to receive Christ by faith and be healed for eternity of your sin. For the rest of us, let him wash you as often as you need to be washed by the the washing of the water, the Holy Spirit, and the word, the word of God, so that we can go outside these doors and accomplish what God has asked us to do, which is to make disciples of all men, all nations. Father, thank you for the power of the cross. And we pray this day that, Lord, you would just anoint us with a beautiful message of grace that comes through faith by believing in the only begotten Son who came to this world to die so that we might live. Jesus, we bless your name. We honor you today. And we pray that you'd fill us now again afresh and anew with your spirit unto good works that we might accomplish all you have for us. Bless us, Lord, as your church. In Jesus' name, amen.